This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. This week's Parsha is Parshat Vayakel. And we are fortunate this year with our leap year that we get a, a greater chance to talk about the Mishkan as the Parshiot are not doubled up. Now, as you probably know, uh, Vayakel and Pikude. Um, repeat many of the details that we heard in Truman to Tzaveh. There is a recapitulation of all of the details of the Mishkan. And I'm sure that many people are going to address that problem in their Shirim this week. Uh, I'm not, because I already recorded a podcast for the VBM, I think two years ago on this topic. So you can check up that Shir in the archives. But this week we're going to talk about a different topic. And that is the topic of the Atseishitim the acacia wood, which uh, was, an inc- it was an in- a very important ingredient in the building of the Mishkan. Now when we're dealing with the Atzei Shittim, uh, this acacia wood, it was used for several of the kalim of the Mishkan, many of the utensils. For example, the Aron, the Ark of the Covenant was built of wood, so was the table. Um, but most significantly, it was the boards of the Mishkan, the huge boards, which uh, were 10 amot, that's uh, we're dealing with 15 foot long, and one and a half amot wide, a couple of foot wide. Um, we're dealing with a huge number of these boards. And um, th- th- these made up the structure of the Mishkan. Now, w- w- when we're dealing with their dimensions, they're, they're pretty big. In other words, we're dealing with... Uh, 20 on each side, so that's 40, and another 8 at the end. So, so, so what we're talking about here is, is a huge amount of wood. And maybe more important than that, we have uh, the brichim, which means that there is some central, central rivet. A central rivet which goes through the entire Mishkan. It goes through one side and the other side and the back. And uh, if we take the length of this central pole, um, it would appear to be 32 amot long. 32 amot takes us to something like 45 foot long. Now, of course, the question here is whether uh, looking at acacia trees, um, which are very, very uh, found all over the Arava and uh, Midbar Sinai, you can go down to the Negev Desert and you will see a great number of acacia trees. The question is whether these trees are capable of yielding this sort of dimensions. Um, when you look at these trees, they're, they're short trees, they've got very, very twisted barks, and um, they usually have quite uh, some foliage. But... We look at these trees and everybody says, well, how exactly are these uh, small, minute trees going to produce boards which are uh, 15 foot high? It doesn't seem to match. Never mind the length of 32 amot, 45 feet. How do you get a, a central pole that, that, that length? And therefore we have a severe problem in identifying these atzei shitim. And uh, this is what I would like to try and talk about this week, where they come from. And we're going to bring several approaches. Probably the most uh, famous approach is brought by Rashi, already back in Parashat Truma. 
where Rashi says, uh, we, we, we see the collection, just like uh, Vayakel, which begins with the uh, requisitioning of all of the items and the raw materials that we needed for the construction of the Mishkan. Similarly, Parashat Truma talks about the various things that were necessary. And uh, there, Rashi in Perak Chavhei, Pasukhei, chapter 25, verse 5, Rashi asks the question, Where did they have uh, acacia wood in the Midbar? Piresh Rabbi Tanchuma, Rabbi Tanchuma said the following, and he brings the following Midrash from the Tanchuma, that Yaakov Avinu Tzafa Baruch HaKodesh Sha'atidim Yisrael Ivnot Mishkan Bamidbar that Yaakov Avinu foresaw in his Ruach HaKodesh, in his divine prophecy of sorts, that Am Yisrael, he foresaw that Am Yisrael were going to build a Mishkan in the wilderness, and he brought Arazim, interesting, these are called Arazim, uh, cedar wood, down to Egypt, and, uh, and he planted them. And he told his children to take them with them when they came out of Egypt. This is quite an incredible midrash. Not only does Yaakov have to have the foresight to understand that there will be a Mishkan, but he has to actually take saplings of uh, cedars, because apparently cedars don't grow in Egypt, and he plants them and, uh, and, and in Egypt, and he instructs his children, when you leave Egypt, you have to take these uh, w- wood with you. Again, I, I imagine that uh, these cedars didn't last for 400 years in Egypt, and eventually they were cut down, but it was actually the logs or the boards or, or whatever timber that he kept in Egypt all the time, preserved it, and they were told they had to take this out with them. Now, the question is how to relate to a midrash of this sort. It is certainly a very strange midrash. I mean, do we have to say that Yaakov even knew about the Mishkan? Um, I think it's uh, well within our... Uh, ability to say that Yaakov had no clue about the Mishkan, and uh, moreover, do we ever see Bnei Israel? We're told that Bnei Israel specifically take, uh, for example, Yosef's casket, his his body, his bones, out of Egypt, but it never mentions that Bnei Israel took wood from Egypt. And therefore, how do we relate to this midrash? What are we going to do with it? And here I turn my attention to the Ibn Ezra. As always, the Ibn Ezra relates to these midrashim and tries to to examine them. Oh, sorry, before I before I get to the Ibn Ezra, let me mention one thing. Uh, you'll all notice that uh, Rashi has actually changed the the, the type of the tree. Uh, Rashi says here that, uh, quoting the midrash, that Yaakov Avinu brought Arazim to Mitzrayim, cedarwood to Egypt. Now, of course. Cedarwood is familiar from uh, from the Mikdash, from Solomon's Temple. The whole structure was lined with cedar paneling, and it seems like cedarwood was a central ingredient. Certainly, if you look at Sefer Malachim, you will see the prominence of the cedarwood um, and the wood which was uh, the timber which was cut down in Lebanon, floated down the Mediterranean Sea and then brought to Jerusalem. Uh, the question is how we, how the Midrash manages to make this shift from acacia wood to cedar. And it's interesting that it would appear that the source is actually in Sefer Yishayahu. In Sefer Yishayahu, chapter 41, uh, verse 19, Perak Mem Aleph Pasuk Yutet, the 
pasuk there says, um, it talks about Erez Shita. Um, Erez Shita uses a sort of a hybrid name where it links the name Erez, which indicates cedar wood, together with Shita, with the acacia wood. And uh, this unusual connection allows us to make a um, a jump from the acacia tree to the to the um, cedar tree. As it says here, I'll read out the whole pasuk. It's talking about etain bamidbar eres shita vahadas veitz shemen asim ba'arava barosh titar v'taashor yachdav. This is a whole collection of trees. I have to be honest that according to Pshat, it is a little difficult because it gives a list. Erez, the cedar, shita, the acacia, hadas, the um, um, hadasim, like what we use on uh, the myrtle, eitz shemen, eitz shemen would appear to be olive wood. And uh, one doesn't need to say that the erez is the shita and the shita is the erez, and yet it would appear that the midrash is relying on this uh, smichut, on this connection between the words and sees Erez Shita as sort of some equivalent. Okay, we said we were going to look at the Ibn Ezra. So how does the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra is very committed to Pshat, how does the Ibn Ezra deal with this? And this is what he says in uh, his comments to Parshat Truma. He says, there are some of the early opinions who say that Yaakov Avinu planted these Atzei Shittim, and then Am Yisrael brought them out of Egypt on Moshe's command. And he says, the, the proof is from our Parshat Shavua. If you look at Shemot Perek Lamedhe, uh, the beginning of Vayakel, um, when the people donate to the Mishkan, they donate quite readily, they donate very enthusiastically. And if you look in Perek Lamedhe, Pasuk Chaf Gimel Chaf you will see the following. Um, it tells us that all the, the men and the women, they brought everything, they brought the gold, their golden rings and all that. And each person who had in his possession uh, blue thread, purple thread, red thread, etc. They all brought it. And then it says, And anybody who had with him uh, they brought it too. In other words, there were people who had acacia wood, atzei shittim, with them. And this becomes the, a further source of the Midrash, that just like they brought the Tchelet Argaman and Tolat Shani out of Egypt, maybe from those beautiful clothes which they took from the Egyptians, similarly, they had brought the atzei shittim from Egypt with them. So says the Ibn Ezra, that is the proof of the Midrash. Um... Ibn Ezra takes issue with this for a number of reasons. He says, A, it says, that they had it for their own purposes. But according to the Midrash, Yaakov told them to bring it out as part of a national effort. I'm not sure it's such a strong, a strong question. But his second question is interesting. He says, it's further questionable because what did they need this wood? Why did they schlep it out of Egypt? And he says, the Egyptians think that they're going to worship their God, and then that they are coming back. And that's why they lent them clothing. And he says, how are they going to take huge beams of wood with them, each one 15 foot long? Also, the longer poles, 
And he says they're, they're marching past the palace, they're marching past the royal compound in Egypt. When people ask them, why are you taking these huge beams? What would they have answered them? I have to say that uh, the Ibn Ezra's uh, questions aren't so strong because they could have easily said that we are going to make a platform and a stage for our ceremony that we're going to have in the Midbar. Nonetheless, Ibn Ezra comes along and um, and raises a different theory. Now before the Ibn Ezra raises this theory, I'd like to talk about a particular phrase that he uses. I'll, I'll read the words of the Ibn Ezra. He says, We really don't know. If there is a received tradition, a tradition according to Torah Shabal Peh, that our forefathers indeed brought them out of Egypt, then we will accept the traditional reading. Here the Ibn Ezra uses one of his classic lines in dealing with Midrashim. When the Ibn Ezra finds a Midrash, which he feels doesn't really have a basis in the text, um, the Ibn Ezra, being very textually oriented, tries to avoid the Midrash. And yet, at the same time, the Ibn Ezra is highly committed to tradition, to Torah Shabbat Alpeh, to rabbinic readings and rabbinic, uh, rabbinic Masorah, the received tradition. And therefore, whenever he has a Midrash which isn't textual, um, which fills in some gaps, he says this. He says, if this is a received tradition, and that is how they came up with this theory, if this is a Medrash Lomoshim Sinai, then I accept it too. I accept tradition. However, if the rabbis made this up, if the rabbis came up with this as the best possible way of explaining where these huge wooden boards came from, he said, I would like to suggest a different possibility. Okay, what's the Ibn Ezra's possibility? This is what he says. He says, Omar, we're going to suggest Next to Harsinai was a forest of acacia wood. And when they came there, they were told that they would stay there for a long time. He says, and according to his theory, According to the Ibn Ezra, there was no cloud of glory once they had escaped from the Egyptians. And he says, Then everybody made themselves a shelter. In other words, they cut down the wood from this forest. Um, he says, They cut down, not very ecologically friendly, they cut down the entire forest, says uh, the Ibn Ezra. Moreover, he claims that The leaders of each tribe, called the Nisim, they made for themselves courtyards, and therefore they needed huge beams. Beams, very boards of large dimensions. They took the biggest boards, and Sukkot, uh, By the way, this is obviously the source for Sukkot, That these were Sukkot mamash. These are actual huts, actual structures, real wooden um, structures which they lived in. And he says at that point, Moshe had not said a word about the Mishkan. Only after Yom Kippur in the second in, in that year did they hear about the Mishkan, and that's why it says the Chol Asher and all those who had wood. Why did they have wood? Not because they brought it out of Egypt; that would have been absurd. But rather, when they got into the Midbar, especially around the time they reached Har Sinai, Shavuot time, it's getting very hot in the Midbar. Everybody needs to have some shelter, shelter during the day from the baking heat. And therefore, they made themselves 
places to sit, sort of canopies or shades, some sort of uh, sheltered area using the wood from this forest. And later, it was this wood that they used for the Mishkan, but the wood was actually found in the Midbar, and it wasn't taken from Egypt. Well, it's an interesting theory. I have to say that uh, I'm not sure that the basis is there for either one of them, but uh, I would like to return to the Midrash and try and examine it, examine uh, the source of, of what it says there and see if we can shed any light on this. By the way, one, again, if we return back to our Parsha, our Parshat Shavua, there is actually one sort of disproof for the Ibn Ezra. Because if you look carefully at uh, the description and the psukim that he uses, the, he, he focused on chapter 35, verse 24, where it said, Anybody who had acacia wood brought it along. But three psukim later, in verse 27, it says, The Nesim, the princes, brought the jewels, the precious jewels they needed, and, and other things as well. But according to the Ibn Ezra, it should be the princes are bringing the huge beams, because they were the ones who had the beams of, of maximal proportion. And therefore, why would the uh, princes only bring jewels? They should be bringing the Atsashitim as well. It is possible, says the Ibn Ezra, that the very, very large beams were made out of uh, composite connections between smaller pieces of wood. Um, and that is uh, certainly a possibility. But uh, it doesn't seem to, to work too well. So let's see what we can say about this. The source in the Medrash Rabbah, Rashi quoted a Tanchuma, but there actually is a source in the Midrash Rabbah, in Breshit, um, Breshit, um, section Memvav in the Medrash Rabbah, Piskah Dalad, and it talks about when Am Yisrael go down to uh, Egypt, who goes down to Egypt? Yaakov goes down to Egypt with all of his family. And this is what it says there. Um, that Yaakov went down to Be'er Sheva. Why is Yaakov going down to Be'er Sheva? And here the Midrash offers two options. The first option is the one we heard. Where, where did he go to Be'er, to Be'er Sheva? Rav Nachman says he went down to cut down cedar trees that Avram had planted in Be'er Sheva. In other words... Now Yaakov is cutting down Avram's trees. Avram planted the seeds. Now they are of mature height. Yaakov cuts them down. And as it says, Vayita Eshel Beber Sheva. And now Yaakov is going to cut them down. And uh, why do we need to take them down? Because we need trees of huge, huge proportion. And the Midrash says, These beams were hidden away. You can't cut beams of that dimension in the in the wilderness. The rabbis of Eretz Israel knew this, and they understood that these had to be cut down from some non-desert-like, non-tropical area and brought to Egypt. That's option number one that we've seen. We'll come back to this. But here is another opinion in the name of Rabbi Levi. Rabbi Levi, who was a contemporary of Rebbe, a Talmud Chaver of Rebbe. 
And Rabbi Levi says the following. He says, They cut them down from a place called Mingadal Tzivaya. And they brought them down to Egypt. They had no, I don't know, disfigurations or they, they were totally smooth. And now it says the following, There was some sort of forest of Shittim in Migdal. And the locals would um, not touch these because of the, they said that there was the sanctity of the Ark of the Covenant. The rabbis came to ask Rabbi Hanina, should we treat this this forest with sanctity? Do not change the custom of your fathers. In other words, Rabbi Levi, a scholar of the 2nd, 3rd century CE in Eretz Yisrael, gives us a first-hand report that there is a place called Migdal or Migdal Tzivaya where there is certain trees and there is a tradition that these trees are holy because the these trees were the source for the Ark of the Covenant. And when they asked Rabbi Hanina, he said, you know, don't, he didn't verify the tradition, but he said, if people treat this as a holy grove, then be very careful about this. Now, when you open up uh, Professor Yehuda Felix's book, Nature and Man in the Bible, he has a wonderful piece on this. And this is what he says, and I'll quote from the book. He says, we undertook some research into the specific quality of the acacia trees growing at Migdal Zavaya and also tried to identify its location. It transpired that Migdal Zavaya was a town situated on the eastern banks of the Jordan, not far from where the river Yarmuch flows into it. In that region there flourishes a grove of acacia trees of a special kind, not the desert acacia with its tortuous trunk, but what is known as the acacia albida, the whitish acacia. A tropic tree fond of moisture with a thick and erect trunk reaching to a height of about 10 meters. This grove has been preserved just as it was in the time of the Talmudic teacher Rabbi Levi by reason of the fact that it was venerated by the Arabs in the region who regarded it as holy. And uh, Professor Felix says that this, this grove of trees is still there. In fact, these trees can be found in all sorts of different places. Um, I sometimes drive through Emek the Ella Valley, and there there is a section of the road where the road actually divides to allow for a section of trees in the middle of it. And I thought this was just a traffic island and something, you know, to break up the monotony of the traffic. But I later found out that indeed this is the same tree, the Acacia albida, the whitish Acacia, um, a large tree, a very nice tree, but a different form of Acacia. And these boards, the, the, the dimensions of the tree are such that you can... Um, actually make the boards of the Mishkan, they are large enough to make the boards of the Mishkan from them. Professor Felix notes something additional. He says, there is some other characteristic of the tree which makes it ideal for the Mishkan, and that is that it is A, very light, and also very strong, but most importantly, that it doesn't contract or expand when there is uh, dampness or dryness. In other words, think about the Mishkan, in the Mishkan, each of the boards had to be dovetailed into one another. They had to interlock. Now, if uh, wood, when it's moist, wood expands, or when it's dry, it contracts. If this would happen, then we would have severe problems with the warping of the wood. And one of the 
features of this Akesha Albida, these Atsei Shitim Omdim, or the Shita Malbina, as we call it in Ivrit, is that they are very resilient to uh, heat, to dryness, to humidity, and therefore they work very well. By the way, the Chizkuni already um, identified this as being a very important feature, and he talks about the fact that as regards the Atsei Shitim, he says, it is an eight kal v'chalak v'na'eh. It is a very, very light wood and a very smooth wood. And he proves this from the fact that you have these 48 boards, 48 huge boards, and also all of the beams, but these can be carried on, uh, carried by eight oxen. And he says, uh, if they were so heavy, if they were a heavy timber, this, these oxen would not be able to carry them. It has to be that this is a very, very light wood. Um, now, this is fascinating because... Uh, we have a tradition now, an eyewitness from Rabbi Levi, that these were not planted in Beersheba and these did not come from Egypt. Somehow these came from Eretz Israel. And now there are two options here. Either these were brought down or maybe Bnei Israel sent messengers up to Eretz Israel, send people to cut down the wood in Eretz Israel, or did traders trade in this wood? How exactly would anybody have known to cut these down and bring them down to the Midbar in time? It is unclear. But one of the nice things that we have here is at least we've identified the tree. And there is some even tradition by the local Arabs in the area, even till today, that uh, this is a holy grove of trees. And who knows what, what the historical evidence is for this uh, for these Atsei Shittim. But at least one thing we've found, we've found that there actually is a tree. There is a tree called the Shita. It's a different type of acacia than we have in the desert, in the in, in the in the Negev desert. But uh, this can match the right tree, and we even have an identification of this grove of trees, which is um, can actually be seen in the Jordan Valley um, near um, the Tiberias Betshan Highway. But this doesn't explain the midrash. We already mentioned there's an opinion that connects this to Yaakov Avinu. And I'd like to possibly engage in understanding a little bit about Yaakov and uh, even the Midrash which connects it to Avraham. Let's start with Yaakov. Why would you say that Yaakov planted the trees for the Mishkan? And when you think about it, Yaakov, more than anyone else, talks about the notion of a Beit Hashem. We have to take ourselves back to the Bereshit, chapter 28, the famous uh, Perek of Yaakov's dream with the ladder. And uh, what do we say? Vayikatz Yaakov Mishnato, Yaakov woke up from his sleep, and he said, there is God in this place, and I didn't know. And he was afraid, and he said, How filled with awe is this place? This is the gate to the heavens. This is the Beit Elohim. This is the house of God. And in fact, we later see he makes a monument there. He pours uh, oil on the top. And he calls that place Bet El. House of God. And he makes a vow to God. And he says, if God will be with me and he will guard me, then I will come. And if I come back in peace to my father's house, then I will turn this Evan. I will turn this stone, which I've made into a monument, into a Beit Elohim, a house for God. And everything I have, I will give a tithe to God. 
Interestingly enough, in Perak Lamed Hay in Breshit, Breshit Perak Lamed Hay, Yaakov does come back to Beit El. He comes back to the town of Luz, which he calls Beit El. Apparently not everybody else calls it Beit El. And what does he do there? Let's see what he does there. When we look at the Perak there, it tells us clearly... Um, He builds an altar. He builds an altar there. He calls the place El Beit El. In other words, he comes back, and this is the first uh, altar that we see Yaakov making. If it's an altar, then he brings sacrifices. And we see that Yaakov Avinu has on his mind this notion of a house for God. Now, again, this is uh, un- unexpected. When Yaakov sees this is the Shar HaShamayim, he could have said, I see angels, I see this is the gateway, the portal to heaven. But why does he need to say, this is the house of God? As far as we know, his dream in Bet-El was in the, in the, under the open sky. He was lying out in the open somewhere, in a field, maybe under a tree, we don't know. Why would he call it? This is the house of God, Beit Elohim. Whoever had an idea like that. And he says, when I come back, I will make this into a Beit Elohim. We clearly see that Yaakov has this uh, notion of Beit Hashem on his on his mind. Um, maybe it's not surprising then that Chazal come along and when they think about his dream, there is a rabbinic tradition which says that he wasn't really in Beit El. Where was he? He was at Harabayat. He was lying in Yerushalayim. In other words, they're saying that somehow there is a deep connection between Yaakov's dream, between this connection point to heaven, and the Beit HaMikdash. That Yaakov in some way is the person who generated the idea, who was the first person to think of God in institutional terms, the first person to think that God isn't only to be worshipped in a, in a free form, in an open field, but rather to be worshipped in a house. Of course, Yaakov represents the principle of Bayit because he also has the Beit Yisrael. He starts developing a family which can actually be considered to be Beit Yisrael. And maybe there is some correlation there. But having said that, he is the first person who comes up time after time with the notion of Beit El, Beit Elohim, which we see multiple times in Yaakov's history. And therefore, maybe Chazal came along and said, well, wait, Yaakov has the idea of the Migdash. Yaakov is the precursor of the Migdash. However, I'd like to take this even further. The Midrash says that Yaakov just cut down the trees. It was Avram who planted the trees. And clearly, what they are saying is that this is a process which is begun not simply with Yaakov, but with Avraham. How so with Avraham? Well, I think it's quite clear. Avraham, we all remember the Brit bin Habitarim. The Covenant at the Pieces in Breshit, chapter 15. And that is where we see the process of Yitziat Mitzrayim, the process of slavery and redemption charted out. The famous um, prediction that uh, a time will come when uh, you, you should surely know that your seed will be stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve and afflict them for 400 years. And afterwards they will come out with great wealth and you will come to Eretz Yisrael. Avram's seeds, Avram planted the trees, he planted the seeds of history, he planted the process. 
Yaakov cut down the trees. He came up with the concept of a here and now, Beit Elohim. And now Am Yisrael, as they come out of Egypt, are carrying this legacy with them. And maybe this is what the Midrash is saying. I say this because there's even a stranger Midrash, which is mentioned in the Targum Yonatan ben Uziel. And the Targum Yonatan ben Uziel, uh, when it's discussing in Parshat Truma, the central pillars, mentions a very bizarre Midrash. He, the Targum Yerushalmi, or the Targum Yonatan ben Uziel, you can find it in a Mikra Gadolot, talks about where the trees come from, and he says that Avram planted them in Beersheva, and Yaakov cut them down. But how did Am Yisrael get them? So this is what he says. He says that uh, when Am Yisrael crossed the Yamsuf, when Am Yisrael crossed the Red Sea, the angels cut them down, cut down the trees, and threw them into the sea. And they floated on the top of the water, and the angels shouted to them and said, these are the trees which Avram set down in Beersheba. And he prayed there in the name of God. And Am Yisrael took them, and this is what became, actually this Midrash does not mention Yaakov at all, and he, they, Am Yisrael took them, and that's what became uh, the miraculous trees of the, of, the, of the Mishkan. Angels throwing the trees into the Yamsuf. This is even more of an exciting Midrash than we had before. What is the connection between these trees and the Yamsuf? I can only suggest one possibility. And that is this. At the end of the uh, Shiratayam, at the end of the Song of the Sea, we read the following. Uh, we talk about the fear, that uh, all of the nations around were terrified and trembling by the power of God and Am Yisrael as they came out of Egypt. Let them be struck with fear and dread. Big But then we say, to the aim of it, to aim of Why you, you, God, you should bring them and plant them. The notion of planting in your holy mountain, machon alta Hashem, a place for you to dwell, machon a place for you to dwell. God has made migdash Hashem konanu yadecha. In the sanctuary of God, which your hands have established, Hashem yimloch We have here the notion of machon a place for you to dwell, which refers to the Mishkan. Mikdash Hashem, the notion of the Mikdash. Uh, why is the Mikdash and the Mishkan mentioned as they're crossing the Yamsuf? The Midrash seems to put this not in figurative sense, but in almost a concrete sense, claiming that the angels threw, at that moment, threw these logs, threw this timber down, and Am Yisrael took them and actually constructed them into the Mishkan. But I think what is being stressed in this Midrash, I mean, let's go back to... Um, First principles here. And let's try and understand what we're saying. Um, what we're saying here is we have a sort of conundrum. We've got a problem. We don't really understand where these, uh, where these trees come from. And I think the Midrash, by connecting this back to Yaakov, is pointing on the connection of the Beit Elohim. Yaakov was the one who conceived of the idea of a house for God. Avraham, 
Avram is the person who began the process that sent us to Egypt, which led us to our redemption. Avram is seen as planting the seeds, literally. Planting the seeds which are now fully grown, coming into fruition. And Am Yisrael are now actualizing the dream, the seed. The promises which were given to Avraham are now bearing fruit. They're now at their fulfillment. They're now at their maturation, where the promises are coming true. And therefore those seeds have to be, have to flower. How do they flower? So they just flower in the sense of being a nation and coming to Eretz Israel. No, says the Midrash. The Midrash says that is not enough. What it, what, what, we weren't just meant to come to Eretz Israel. The aim of this process is to create a, a Beit Hashem. And uh, that was the, that's the fruition of the process. That's the culmination of the process that uh, Avraham uh, put into, into motion and that Yaakov actualized. So we've come along with a whole bunch of solutions to the Atseishi Tim. Let's try and summarize. We had some questions as to which tree it was. And I think we'll go along with Professor Felix's answer that this is a different type of acacia wood. But where did they come from? Oh, one other option is they're not acacia. They are cedar wood. And uh, this is raised by uh, by Rashi and others. These are really cedars. Uh, cedars are creating a parallel with the Mishkan, with, with the Beit HaMikdash, where King Shlomo used cedar wood, and also based on the Pasuk of Yishayahu. But how did these trees get there? Um, the Pshat answer, I think, is probably close to what the Ibn Ezra says. The Ibn Ezra says that they cut down a forest in order to make shelters for them. The other option is the Rabbi Levi, that there actually was a grove in Eretz Israel of these special trees from which they maybe sent people up there to cut some of the timber down, or maybe merchants brought it down to them and sold it to them. They made a special order. However, uh, more familiar to everybody is this very, very difficult to accept Midrash, that Yaakov or even Abraham knew there would one day be a Migdash and they planted trees and the timber was taken down to Egypt, kept in storage and brought with them. And what, the way I view that Midrash is trying to claim that the Migdash is not a new idea. The Migdash and uh, this whole building of the Mishkan is not something which was conceived of at some sort of late stage in history. Um, the Migdash is already um, planned. The uh, the, the blueprint of it is already in the words of Yaakov Avinu when he wakes up from his dream. The plan for it is already in, in, in Avram's vision, which he has in Britman And now as we come out of Egypt, those, uh, the actual wood um, is a reflection in a metaphorical sense of the seeds which were planted by Avraham and the wood which was planned for by Yaakov and that that is coming to fruition um, in the vision of Am Yisrael as they build a Beit Hashem in the Midbar. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom.